This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Awesome, guys. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation 5. And um, I'm not going to talk about the end times. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about the Antichrist and Bill Gates. You're safe. <laughs> I want to do sermon series, right, one day. I don't know when. <laughs> or I'll probably do a YouTube series on this or something. And I want to take every one of the major conspiracy theories and just debunk them, right? I think it will be so healthy for the whole church. It will do everybody a massive favor. This is probably my hardest work during lockdown. The most questions people asked me was about conspiracy theories. And I'm like, you're educated people. Like, remember the scientific method, right? You need to apply it to this sometimes as well. And it doesn't, then conspiracy theories doesn't make sense. But anyway, so this morning I want to share with you guys, I know it's Pentecost Sunday, but since um, last week Monday, I felt I needed to share this message with you. And I'm going to speak from Revelation 5. And it's a little bit abstract, but I'm going to take time to explain all of this. And my heart this morning when I prayed for you is I really felt that the Lord wants to just kind of use this piece of scripture to just breathe some new hope into our hearts for what he wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our nation, and in nations of the earth. Because we can say whatever we want. Um, For 99.9% of people in South Africa and probably in this room, the last year and a half has been pretty traumatic, right? And it has been wild what COVID has done in good ways, but if I would ask who has lost somebody due to COVID in this room, somebody you know, I think 90% of people would raise their hands. And if it's as deadly as people say or not, that is not the conversation. The reality is still that COVID to some extent has changed the way that the world works forever. And one of the biggest things that I've seen over the last year is hopelessness, right? And people just don't have hope anymore. They, they go to work, they love their families, they, they do their thing, but there's a lack of hope. So there's a lack of expectation for God's best to manifest in their lives. It's kind of like I'm protecting my assets a little bit and just making sure that everything that I can control, I control, and then I'm not going to hope or reach for anything else because wave 14,000 might hit us still, right? And there's this underlying fear of something outside of my control that is not normal, that became normal. And I just believe that God in this next season wants to break his church free from that. He wants to break his church free from living in a, in a constant underlining fear of what if. Because I've seen so many people, God speak to them about doing specific things, right? Dreams that he has on his heart. But because of this underlying fear, they actually abort those dreams. They pull them back. They don't move forward with what God has. And then what happens is there's this strange thing that bitterness sets in and then we blame God for it. As if God is in the business of sending global pandemics and killing millions of people. God is life. How can he be death? It's not his desire. It's not his will. I don't care what John Piper says. I'm honest. I love you. 
I honor him. I've read most of his books. I love his stuff. But it doesn't mean I have to agree with that. If we believe that God is the author of all this pain, how do we pray for somebody to get healed? How do we have hope for change? The very thing that brings us hope is against us. So this morning, is it really okay? It's like really quiet all of a sudden. Okay? But this morning, I just feel I want to read from Revelation 5. I'm going to unclear it. I'm going to color in a little bit of it, explain to you the historical context, and then we're just going to see what the Bible says. So I'm going to read you a part, and then I'll explain it. It says, well, let me explain first. Here we see Revelation 5. John is the one that God gave this revelation to. Um, he's the beloved. He's like Jesus' BFF, right? He was the guy that laid on his chest. Um, and it's pretty crazy. I, I wonder how it was, right? Like, did he like hear the heartbeat of God? Right? I thought about that the other day. I was like, that must be pretty crazy. We always say cliche stuff like that, but John actually legitimately heard it. He was like that close to the God man. And God gives him this revelation. And Revelation 5, we see there is a moment where um, the angel comes and says, there, here's a scroll with the seals. Who can open it up? And then John has a pretty dramatic experience in the way that he perceives this. And if you don't understand the historical content, John crying won't make sense. So, this is anything between 60 and 90 after Jesus. And um, imagine this, Jesus told them, hey, don't worry, I'm coming back. The angel said, hey, he's coming back. Why are you standing here? Go do what he told you to do. Right? This is six years earlier. So now here's John and uh, his 120-some buddies. Right? They go fast and pray for 10 days. And today, roughly, on the traditional calendar, 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit falls. 5,000 5, get added. It's a pretty big deal. Imagine we have a meeting, and the Spirit of God falls, and 5,000 people, there's a sound of a wind that draws thousands of people to the school. We're on the fields, and one of you stands up, preaches the gospel, and 5,000 people get added to the church. Imagine that. Pretty cool day. We're winning, guys. That's it. That's all that I'm saying. It's like we're winning. Okay, and then, like, lame people walk. Peter's shadow heals people. Like, another 3,000 gets added. It's like, guys, there's forward momentum, okay? It seems that everything Jesus is saying is happening, okay? And then James gets murdered, Philip gets murdered, Peter gets murdered, and the greatest persecution breaks out against the church. And here is John the Beloved, Jesus' best friend, right? And in this time, Nero freaks out against Christians, blames them for the fires that started in Rome, which he himself actually started. And he has these parties where he would like light up his parties by impaling Christians and burning them alive. And in the Colosseum, they would sow Christians into dead animals and have other animals eat them. And it was just the most horrific things you could ever imagine happened. And here is John, right, an old man, all of his BFFs, the OG Christians... Right, the ones that has raised the dead, whose shadows healed people, like they've walked on water, they've seen Jesus crucified, like they're the original wild friends of Jesus. Right? They're the starters of this whole Jesus movement we're all a part of. 
right? And here is, Peter, here is John, right? An old man. They murdered all his friends, crucified upside down Peter. He, they wanted to kill John, so they threw him in a pot of boiling oil. He did not die. So you can imagine burn wounds, skin, right? So they realize he's not dead. So they send this old man in his late 80s, early 90s to an island called Patmos to go work in a slave mine to work himself to dead. And here is John, skin destroyed. All of his friends are brutally murdered. This fledgling movement that Jesus promised is getting wiped out all over the world. And in the midst of this, Jesus shows up. The midst of chaos, he has an encounter. I'm going to read you what it says. Now, I want to paraphrase here. It talks about a scroll. The scroll's meaning in Revelation is just, it's God's plan for the end. But it's the thing that brings hope. Okay? So I'm just going to, it's not heresy, I promise you can Google it. Right? Don't Google it. Just ask somebody else. <laughs> I'm just going to change the word scroll with the word hope. Okay? Because that's what it was meant to bring. And I saw a mighty angel, verse 2, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to bring us hope. Now again, imagine the context. All of heaven is standing. John, this old man, burnt skin, working in a slave mine. It's hearing the angel in this encounter screaming, Who can bring hope? Who can we find to end the suffering? Who can we find to stop all the murdering? To stop the rage of Satan? Who can we find? Who is there? And it goes on and it says that, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to do it. Nobody. Nobody could bring them hope. The angel looked everywhere. God sent them out. They're like, nobody is found worthy. Nobody is worthy enough to bring to an end the suffering that is currently happening. And this is one of the wildest pieces of scripture for me in the whole Bible. Verse 4. And then it says, John is speaking. It says, and then I began to weep loudly. Now, if you don't understand the pain and the suffering that John has seen in his life, that means nothing. But when you understand that he has buried most of his friends, that people are getting murdered, tortured, he is working in a slave mine, burnt skin as an 80-year-old man, I began to weep, carries weight. And I believe that I began to weep wasn't just a beautiful tear rolling. I believe it was that deep cry of, God, but you said your kingdom cannot be shaken. But Jesus, you said you're preparing a home. Jesus, what is happening? I, I don't get this, God. You gave promises. You said to us that things will improve, that this will happen. God, I don't get it. What? What is happening? Why, why can nothing bring us hope? And that cry, I, I just feel it almost. It's like this mix between anger and anxiety. 
of like, what's going to happen? I can't deny Jesus to be true, but everything I knew to be true is getting murdered now. What, what is happening? And so many of us in COVID, I believe, felt the same way. It's like we can't deny that God is true. We can't deny He's real. We've had encounters. He's spoken to us. I have my quiet time. I feel His nearness. But my definition of what it means to be a Christian is so shaken right now that I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to reach and believe for the more that He has promised. Verse 5. This is the nuances and this is beautiful. So you would see in verse 2, it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming, right? Then verse 4, he wept because nobody was found. And then verse 5, John is weeping. He is sad. He is remorseful. He's in pain. And God does not send him an angel to bring him comfort. He sends an elder. He sends another human being to come to him and say, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Imagine that moment, right? So there's 12 thrones around the throne of God. On them are 12 elders seated there. One of them gets off the throne, walks over to John weeping, says, hey, buddy, I know the end of the story. There is one who has overcome. There, there, there is one that is, that is beaten, that is conquered. Right? And, and this is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus is portrayed as a lion. Right? And, and I believe it's because he, he's portrayed as a lion in this instant because the pain that was seen needed a conqueror to come and destroy the pain. God's judgment is never towards people. God's judgment is always judging the things that stand in the way of love. Judgment judges the things that comes in the way of relationship. And so all of a sudden, this elder comes to John and says, Hey, don't weep, John. Don't weep. Don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. He has conquered. He has made a way. And, and, and in that moment, imagine what John felt. And he looks, and I love this, the elder says it to him, and in this piece of scriptures, like John gets pulled deeper into heaven, however that works, I'm not exactly sure, we don't have enough time to talk about it, and it goes on, you can go to the next slide, and he sees the throne. So remember, it was the lion who was overcome. And then he says, and between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a mighty warrior with a ginormous army. No, that's not what it says. It says, I saw a lamb standing, though it was slain. And, and in this piece of scripture, it's so fascinating. Because God is so unlike us. The way that he wins is not like us. He's like, here's a conquering lion. 
right? Here's the, the, the promised Messiah from the tribe of Judah, the son of David, the one whose throne will endure forever, using Old Testament language that John would know what it means. Here he is, he's the lion, he has overcome John, don't worry. But the way that he is seen all of a sudden, is like the way that he overcame, is like a lamb being slain. Do you understand the weight that that carried to John? Because his friends, his whole movement is being slain. All of a sudden, John looks at this and he's like, I get it. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, that happened to him as well. The lion, the conqueror, won by laying down his life in love and in kindness. Do you know what's funny, Nero? You can go read up a little bit. Go read church history, guys. It will change your life. It's amazing. A lot of things that happens makes a lot of sense. Nero, at some stage, I can't remember exactly what year it was now, but he would not have Christians be killed in the Colosseum anymore. Colosseum is like their big stadium where they had gladiator fights and killed people. So what would happen is they would try to kill these Christians and will put them on stakes, burn them alive, have animals eat them, da 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 And at some stage, one of these guys, um, he was the last guy, oh, I'll remember his name now, but whatever, they burned him alive. And as he's burning, he starts proclaiming the gospel to the people in the crowds. It's like 30,000, 40,000 people in the crowds. Right? And it became a trend. Right? So the Christians started doing it because hundreds of these spectators at these Colosseums will get saved. Right? Because imagine you're going to see somebody get murdered, they're being burnt alive, and they're proclaiming mercy and, 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 and forgiveness to you on the stage, saying Jesus loved you, he died for you, I'm burning alive right now, but there is a king who loves you. And Nero made it illegal to kill Christians in public. Because too many people will turn away from their pagan beliefs. Because the way that we overcome is by laying down our lives. The way that we overcome is by not being stronger, it's not by being more forceful, it's not by being more prideful. The only characteristic trait that Jesus identified himself with, he said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness and humility is the only trait that Jesus in the New Testament gives to himself. And in this piece of scripture, the overcoming the hope that is Jesus says, I overcome not like the world. I overcome by understanding that giving my life is the best way to win. It goes on a little bit more. <clears throat> and then there's the whole, let me just go from there. Um, it takes a scroll. Okay, go on to the next one. Verse 9. Okay, go up one. Sorry, I just want to read the end of eight. And it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, this is really interesting. I want to tell you a story to explain to you prayer. Um, about last year, January, <clears throat> we, uh, we started a prayer room. And... Um, it is awesome what God has done there is one of our primary things is creating a culture of prayer and we're going like I don't know maybe 
15 or 20 hours a week now. And people from different churches, different organizations use the prayer room, and we do tons of training. And, um, but before we started building it, it used to be a doctor's office. And our whole team is there. We worship together. We prayed before we got to start with the building of the prayer room. And I feel the Holy Spirit tell me, hey, let Hannah, she's one of our leaders, let her hit the first shot into the wall. And I'm like, that's kind of strange, but okay, cool. And uh, I tell Hannah, Hannah, I don't know why, I feel you should hit the first shot in the wall. And I said, okay. So she hits the first shot in the wall. We started demolition. About two, three weeks later, I'm in Brazil at the Send. It's a big gathering that was there. And I'm invited to this leaders gathering beforehand. And it's like all these super famous people. I'm like the only non-famous person. It's kind of strange. People have like three PAs. It's kind of weird. They're like, it was really strange. And one of the guys there asked me, hey, so what's your name? Right? And it's a really good question because legitimately, guys, all the other people that are really famous Christians. So I was like, I'm like a fish out of water. And I was like, my name is Gabriel. And he's like, oh, you have a South African accent. Right? And his name is Adam Cox. He's a part of 24-7. He's helped write the book, Redmond Rising. If you haven't read it, read it. Um, <clears throat> and he's like, you have a South African accent. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good. How do you know that? And he's like, oh, I'm married to a South African. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And he's like, what, what do you do? Where are you from? I was like, I'm from, the Poch- I'm from Pochestrum. Nobody ever knows where Pochestrum is. Right? I found two people in all of my travels ever that knows where it is. It was a guy in Nepal, an American, that had a basketball thing with Olympic athletes from Saudi there, which is really strange. And then this guy, Adam Cox. And I was like, and I say Pochestrum. He goes like, oh, in the Northwest. And I'm like, how do you know that? That is so interesting. And so he says, well, 13 years ago, I went there with Floyd McClung and a group of people to start a prayer room because God told us that a missions movement will erupt from that city. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I was so excited. I was like, praise the Lord. We're not crazy. We felt the same thing. We're so, yeah, anyway, so I go back to our leadership team. Hannah is there. I tell them that story. Hannah goes like, Gabe, I was a part of that group. 13 years ago. And as he shared that, God speaks to me and says, Gabe, the reason I had Hannah hit the first shot in the wall is because I needed you guys to know and her to know that I never forgot one of her prayers. And that her prayers that she prayed 13 years ago is the reason why that hammer could go into that wall to start that prayer. So when here it talks about there's golden bowls full of the incense, which is the prayers of the saints, it is a symbol, a sign that our prayers always burn before God. That every single prayer that we pray, not just our strong, faithful prayers, not just our powerful, oh, I feel strong and full of faith, I can change the world today, but even my weak prayers, in my weakest moment, when you made my feel very depressed, I don't even know if I can look up, I don't even know if I can get out of bed, that little help, right? God, I feel ashamed, I can't even look at you. Those prayers matter and they burn before his throne. And when it talks about it here, it, it, it is supposed to bring us hope to understand that nothing that we ever pray goes forgotten. God catches them. It burns before him. That's why some of the older traditions of the church burn candles. It's not some weird mystical thing. It's a reminder of what happens in the throne room. It's that my prayers always burn there. Always before God. It's a reminder that God 
you will never forget my prayers. Then it goes on, <clears throat> verse 9, and it says, and I love this, and they sang a new song. What? Did you catch that? They sang a new song. In that moment, a song was sung in heaven that's never been sung before. I wonder what heaven's response is when somebody sings a new song. Right? Because the angels in uh, Isaiah 6 just say, holy, holy, holy the whole time. Okay? So, <laughs> all of a sudden, like, there's a new song being sung. And, and I love this. It, it, the song that's being sung by all of heaven, they break out and say, worthy are you to take the scroll, right, to bring us hope, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Imagine John. Imagine the John we just thought about earlier, who all of his friends were murdered, right? All, everything that bring him hope, the promise of Jesus, all of that is vanishing before his very eyes. And he literally, not figuratively, is in heaven, literally seeing the victorious Jesus portrayed not as a great man of war, but as a lamb being slain and saying, John, this is how I beat Satan. I do not beat him by a show of force. I don't need to. It says in Thessalonians that he will defeat the Antichrist by the breath of his mouth. Done. We don't have a big God and a big Satan. We have a ginormous God that is infinitely bigger, smarter, kinder, more powerful than we can imagine. And we have a devious Satan that tries to make himself look really big so that we lose hope. But this morning as I'm standing here, as I'm sharing with you guys, I'm sharing this message, you need to understand that he won by giving his life. And that this same song is being sung in heaven right now, today, that he has overcome, that he has purchased, that every single one of us in this room are purchased by him. And because we are purchased by his blood, because we are made one with him through the cross, hallelujah, there is always hope for us. And yesterday with the students, last night I spoke a little bit about this. But guys, like, we can never not have hope. Like, what can the world do to us? Right? I said this about... Paul, just, I, I want you just to think through this, right? Paul says in uh, Philippians, he speaks about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Okay, so now Paul is causing riots because the silver industry in Ephesus is crashing because so many people are turning away from idol worship, right? It's like this church has so much revival that um, all of the places, all of the clubs are starting to persecute the leaders because too many people don't go there anymore. They're losing money. Right? An industry is shutting down because of Paul's life. 
Right? Do you know what's a nickname? Acts 17.4. These are the ones who turned the world upside down. And now they have come here also. Whew. What a reputation. So that man, <clears throat> Paul, if they kill him, he's with Jesus. Hallelujah, he wins. If they have him be alive, he turns the world upside down. Right? So now they're kind of in a conundrum. They're like, if we kill him, we give him what he wants. If we keep him alive, he's destroying idol worship all over the known world. We need to make a plan. And they're like, ha, huh. some genius was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to arrest him and put him in prison. And he can do nothing. Except write two-thirds of the New Testament that will change the world forever. You can't stop us. Nothing this world can do can stop us. The kingdom in us is always advancing. The hope that we have has a name and it's Jesus. The hope that we have is not stable finances. It's not a working economy. It is not saying that those things are not important, but it's important you get this. It is not that there's no corruption. You will not have more hope if there's no corruption. I'm sorry, you'll find another thing to steal your hope. Our hope is unshakable. I lived in America for four years. There's way less corruption than here. There is, but there's way less. Everything works, people are still hopeless. Satan eats our lunch, and we blame other things for it. Let me say one last thing about this. If we think about Paul again, and they cannot kill him, goes to heaven, they kill him, uh, if they don't kill him, he causes chaos. If they lock him up, he writes letters. There's one last thing <clears throat> in that that is important. And it's the fact that even if they do kill him, it says that Justin Martyr said, the blood of the martyrs isn't the church father. It says the blood of the martyrs is a seedbed of revival. What does that mean? In Hebrews 13, 12. Hebrews 12 speaks about the blood of Jesus in heaven. It says it's sprinkled. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, Abel's blood, what did Abel's blood cry out? Justice. Cain killed him. So Abel's blood cried out to God. God said, I heard your blood, brother's blood cry out to me. And it says, but Jesus' blood cries out a better word. What is the word that Jesus' blood cries out for? Mercy. Jesus' blood cries out mercy. Right? So every drop of blood that fell from our Savior's face cried out mercy. Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. It is a different type of <laughs> outcry that happens. And so when we become Christians, when we become born again, right? They kill us, we're with God. They keep us alive, we keep on doing chaos. They put us in prison, we write letters. But if they would kill us, my blood will forever cry out for revival and forgiveness for those who've done it. So not only do I go to heaven, my life that was taken becomes an eternal intercession for the salvation of the people who took my life. So I dare you kill me. Passivity might have got me to get, be quiet, but if you take my life, there will be an eternal intercession for your salvation. What can man do to us?
This morning, I believe that God wants to impart hope in a way that we haven't had it before. He wants to impart hope that He is still in control. That the way that He leads is not like the world leads. He does not lead by a show of force or strength. He leads by meekness and humility. And I believe this morning, that's what God wants to do. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.